So, Revelation chapter 1, for some reason, caught my heart as a child, unlike any other passage in all of Scripture. Many of you guys know my testimony. Many of you guys know, as a kid, I had a very hard time reading. Do you guys know of the Gideons? How many have heard of the Gideons? Or maybe you have a Gideon's Bible because a Gideon gave you one. I remember getting an orange one when I was in junior high. There were some Gideons there handing them out after school to all the students. And that was a public school. I thought that was just so cool. So praise God for Gideons. And I remember that little orange Bible. I would take it. And I'd lay, I had, I had the one room that we had in our, our home upstairs. I had a little bitty bedroom. It was kind of like in the attic area. And I remember reading Revelation chapter 1 over and over and over again. I was just so fascinated because what we know about Jesus, what do we know about Jesus? Well, he's the cute little babe that was born in Bethlehem, right? Wasn't it just Christmas? Isn't that what every church was preaching about? You know, yeah, I understand Jesus came, that he was born of a virgin, but Jesus grew up, okay? He died upon the cross. He was buried and he rose again. And Jesus, guys, is what we see in Revelation chapter 1. That's who he is today. And this is who he is when he returns. And he's pretty gnarly. I'd like to read the whole of chapter 1 with you guys before we jump in to the teaching on uh, the coming of Christ. So let's take a look here in Revelation chapter 1 together. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things much, that must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Okay, now John, this is John who wrote the Gospels of John, who walked with Jesus for three years. Verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And guys, we're going to spend a lot of time this morning in Revelation. So what does God say? We're going to be blessed. Amen? Amen. And keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to catch it. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony 
of Jesus Christ. This is why he was exiled there. He got in trouble for preaching Jesus, and they couldn't kill him, so he sent him to this island, right? And then he tells us in verse 10 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I, saw, I turned and I see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band, and his head and his hair, they were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet were like the fine brass, as if it was refined in the furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. You guys picture what, Je what Jesus is looking like today, right now? This is John's best effort of describing how he saw the risen Lord. And this is he who is going to return. Now, what is happening? Well, John would do probably what all of us would do. When I saw, verse 17, him, I fell at his feet as dead. I mean, if you saw Jesus like this, wouldn't you do the same? Holy cow! <laughs> you know? We would be on our faces before the Lord. Now, verse 13, 18, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So you guys see why I liked Revelation chapter 1 so much? I loved reading that description of what Jesus is like. Okay, I believed he was going to come back. Guess what? I still believe that today. Nothing's changed. Why? Because the Bible says it's going to happen. And let me tell you what. The Bible is about a third. A third of your Bible is predictive prophecy. Most of it, okay, has been fulfilled. And there's a huge chunk that is being spoken of today in regards to the last days. And that's what we're going to be looking at. And it's exciting to live in the times in which we live. It's exciting to read this stuff. I remember why I enjoyed being on my bed, reading my little orange Gideon's Bible over and over again, because I just wanted to see Jesus. I wanted him to come. I wanted him to take him home. And let me tell you what, the longer I walk with Jesus, I want that more and more, okay? The things we were saying this morning, they, they grow strangely dim. When? When we look to Jesus Okay, that's what should happen for the Christian. The closer we get to him, the more we want <laughs> this life just to pass and to be home with him. Now, a few things before we jump in to this study. Okay, I grew up in a church uh, that was very heavy, um, heavily based uh, in prophecy. Okay, there were prophecy conferences. 
there's a lot of stuff uh, that I was blessed to learn and to get a grasp on. Uh, I will not sensationalize scripture when I teach it. That's something that I see in the church as a whole today is they want to look at scripture and say, hey, see this happening over here? Or have you watched the news? Did you read that article? See, it's happening right now. Now, there are things that are obvious that do speak to scriptures, but I've heard a lot of men through the years teach the word of God and say, look at this, what's happening. This is fulfillment here. Well, it didn't pan out the way they thought it was going to pan out. It didn't fulfill any of the scriptures. And I won't do that. And a lot of the ministries and teachers out there who are watchmen, you know, saying, hey, watch out for this and look at this. This is going to happen. See, this is the fulfillment. The Lord's going to come back right now. <laughs> you know, these kind of things. Who's watching them? Who's calling them out? And I think it's on us just to hold true to the scriptures. And what God has revealed, that's all we hold to. Because there are a lot of what ifs. And things are exciting. Things are definitely shaking out. You and I, guys, as we get to sit and study through this, we're living in a unique time, okay? It's not sensationalizing to say, hey, look it, Israel is in the land today. That's a fact, okay? We know Israel has to be in the land for the Lord to come back. That's what scriptures speak to. So it's kind of fun to look and say, hey, that wasn't too long ago. 1948, they came back and they were put in the land. They weren't there for 2,000 years. The coming of Christ couldn't happen because they weren't there. Okay? But for us to say certain other things, hey, this could happen or this is taking place, there are a lot of what-ifs. Okay, and if we do have a what if comes up, I'm going to let you know that it's a what if. Does that make sense? But what I want to do in our time over the next few weeks is just look to the scripture. What does God say? I don't want us to be confused. I don't want us to place any false hope in anything going down. Because let me tell you what, it might not pan out. And hope is lost. Our hope is in what? Jesus Christ and his word is sure. Amen? Amen. Let me just give you, I want to give an example. Maybe this will make it clear, okay? Um, do you guys remember when Europe began to change all their money over to the, year, to the euro? Okay. Ooh, the Antichrist is going to come. There's going to be a one world order and we're all going to have the same money to use worldwide. Well, European countries began to put that together and I heard very respected men say, hey, look, Okay, we can look into the scriptures. We're going to have this uniting of 10 countries coming together. See, this is happening. Okay, Europe has come together. We have these 10 countries. See, just like the Bible said, guess what? There's more than 10 countries today that are a part of this union. So it can't be what the Bible is talking about. Okay, they were saying this is it. It's not it. Do you guys understand when we sensationalize scripture, how we can be misled and then we have a false hope in something? I just want to stick to what the word says. Amen? So, let's look back to verse 7 here. In Revelation 1. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So the one who is coming back, that's the point in these couple scriptures. And the great hope of the Christian faith is that Christ died 
and that he was buried <laughs> and he raised from the dead and that he is coming back. Do you guys understand? That is Christianity. That is our faith. So I want to deal with some of the details in this text and take a, a sort of a broad look at the overall doctrine with you this morning of the second coming of Christ. Many see verse 7 here as the keynote to the whole book of Revelation. Okay? So look at it again. Verse 7. This is key. And again, what's it speaking about? The return of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. So John here is alluding to a passage from the Old Testament book of Daniel, which you guys can turn to in your Bibles, um, in which we see Jesus predicted as the Messiah who receives from God the Father dominion over the world when the evil empires of the world uh, have been judged. So in Daniel chapter 7, let's look at verses 13 and 14 together. And if you guys struggle with studying Revelation, you need to study Daniel at the same time. Because if you study both the books, oh wow, they unlock each other. Explanations are given there's a clarity that is brought. Um, so Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, he says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So this is a second coming prediction that was made clear by the New Testament. Okay, Jesus alluded to it in Matthew 24, verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man, you guys see the reference there? Okay, To the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, there it is again, of heaven with great power and glory. So God himself even spoke to this. Okay, So the coming with the clouds. I think that's pretty neat to think about. I don't know if you guys um, catch yourself when there's a beautiful uh, sunset and the clouds are just gnarly, just really awesome. Lord, are you coming? <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm just like, I can't wait for him to come. Now, um, he's going to be coming with the clouds. So here, it's associated with the Old Testament promise of the Messiah ruling over the nations. Do you guys catch that? That's what's connected. When he returns with the clouds, he's going to rule all nations. And this is made possible by his first coming, the cross, Okay? The kingdom was inaugurated and consummated in that. And this is in the contrast to the first coming, which was localized. Okay? We know that took place in Jerusalem. The second coming will be global. It will affect the world worldwide. So this was made clear by Jesus. Now, if you guys turn to Matthew 24, I want to look at verses 23 to 27 with you guys. Matthew 24, 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs 
and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, and even if possible, the elect. So I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out or look. And if in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and the flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus warns us. In North America alone, there are over 5,000 self-proclaimed Christs today. Christ is going to come in the clouds. The Jehovah Witnesses have Jesus in a basement in Arkansas somewhere. Okay, There's a lot of goofy out there and a lot of things that people... When Christ returns, it's going to be very clear. Very clear. Now behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him. <laughs> Do you guys understand? Every eye. You can't be like, well, you missed it. <laughs> he did come that way, and you just missed it. The Bible says every eye is going to see, and I can't wait for that. Now, the first coming was marked by lowliness. Hardly anyone noticed his birth except for a few shepherds and magi. Only a few hundred witnessed his resurrection appearances. The second coming is marked with power. It's by power, majesty, and glory. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be gnarly. I've used that word a few times this morning. That's what I keep thinking about when I think about the second coming of Christ. It's going to be awesome, guys. So the second coming, guys, we should be expecting it to come in that type of glory and all the world will experience so here, John is alluding to another Old Testament reference and prediction about Jesus the Messiah in the book of Zechariah. Okay, let's turn to Zechariah. It's toward the end of the New Testament. And I want you guys to catch the context. Context is always very important. I just read from Matthew 24. I did Mark 13 a year ago or two. I will put that up on our uh, website uh, on the first page. It's the Olivet Discourse where, the, where Jesus lays out what will be happening uh, in the last days concerning his coming. I'll put that up on our website. You guys can watch that. But we're going to turn to Zechariah 12. In the context is in the final days in which the nations are gathered in opposition to Israel and Jerusalem and ultimately God and the Messiah returned to rescue her. And her's referring to Israel and Jerusalem. So a reference to the battle of Armageddon is from Revelation 19. But here in Zechariah 12 brings some more clarity to what's going to be happening in that battle. Look at verses 8 to 10 with me. And in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem the one who is feeble among them. And in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. You guys see how important Jerusalem is? Okay? Again, I don't want to sensationalize but I'm pretty stoked that we have a president right now that says, hey, Jerusalem is the capital. We are going to recognize her for who she is. And let me tell you what, guys, it is fun being an evangelical, a student of Bible prophecy, because Jerusalem's not a political thing. It's a prophetical thing, period. Yeah, 
Jerusalem is the capital of the world. Malachi 4, verses 7 and 8, Jeremiah 3, 17, speak to those things, guys. So it's pretty exciting that we would say, no, we're going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital. We're going to move our you know, embassy there. It's cool. And there's other people following suit. And of course, the world doesn't like that. If you look earlier in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2, Jerusalem's going to be a cup of trembling to all nations. The world's undone that this is happening. Okay? So it's kind of fun seeing things being played out the way they are, that Israel is in the land today, that Jerusalem really is a burden and a problem, not just to the Middle East, but to the entire world, the way over in the West, and we're causing problems and ripples <laughs> over Jerusalem. Isn't that pretty cool, guys? It's right here in Scripture. This isn't made-up stuff. It's so fun to be alive today for this stuff. Anyways, it's going to be the future capital of the world. Let's work at, sorry, that was a rabbit trail side note. The point here, though, okay, the Lord's going to come back, and he's going to destroy anybody that comes against Jerusalem. Now, verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me whom they pierced. Who was pierced? Jesus. They're going to look upon me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for me as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for his firstborn. I love this, guys. I don't know if you have any Jewish friends. I know Jews who have come to faith in the Messiah. They are born again. They are believers. But I know more Jews that want nothing to do with Christ, with Jesus, with their Savior. And I think for them, it's going to be verse 10, when they finally see their need of him and who he truly is, when they finally see, okay, you're the one who came in the clouds. We all saw it. <laughs> Where'd you get these wounds? I got them in the house of my friends, is what he's going to say to them. You pierced me. And they're going to see and they're going to recognize, whoa, this other guy, this other ruler, this Antichrist who's come on the scene, he ain't God. <laughs> we see that, Jesus, you really are God. Now, Jesus, Matthew 24, 30 again, and John, they expand this prediction to apply to the whole world, originally only about Israel, but it's expanded to the whole world, right? The gospel has gone to the whole world. So even those who pierced him in all the tribes of the earth, all the tribes of the earth will mourn him. I think that's going to be awesome. So even those who pierced him, that means all who have sinned. It's not just the Romans who laid him upon that cross that day and drove those nails into his hands. Okay, it wasn't the Jews who said, crucify him, crucify him. We want him dead. No, it's all of us. Do you guys understand that? It's because of our sin. He willingly went to the cross. No one put him there. He put himself there. He laid down his life for you and I because he loves us, guys. And he did it for our sins that they could be forgiven. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So all who fail to recognize him, okay, repentance or judgment is going to be happening. Now I want to lay down a contrast. You guys can see this in your notes. But there is a contrast between the two comings of Jesus that I want to make clear for us this morning. His first come, coming, he came lowly, right? Okay, it was local. A few saw him. Some pierced him, rejected him, rejoicing over his 
seeming defeat. But in his second coming, we're told in Scripture, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be global. All will see it happen. All will recognize him mourning, resulting in repentance or judgment. Okay? Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it tells us this. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear again a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Okay? So there is a distinction, another purpose in his second coming. Christ came once. Why? To die for our sins, the suffering Messiah. And when he comes, he's going to rule and reign. He's going to come and set up his kingdom. Now, the Jews have a hard time with this because when they read the scriptures, they read it and say, there must be two messiahs. They don't understand. No, there is one Messiah. <laughs> he did come and he did fulfill all these prophecies that spoke about this suffering uh, servant who was going to lay down his life for the sins of many. <laughs> but there also will be one who comes and sets up his rule, will overthrow all those who are coming against Israel and set up his kingdom now, John Wolverd, which I would encourage you guys to grab any of his resources in regards to Bible prophecy. He's written a book on every prophecy of the Bible. He's got one of the best commentaries out there on Revelation. One thing I love about him, because there's a lot of different views in regards to end time things. Uh, we at Freedom, you guys will get a flavor of where we stand biblically. We take things very literal. Prophecy's always been spoken literally. We're going to continue to take it literally. Um, but I love him because he agrees with me. But also, <laughs> um, he, he lays out where people come from and why they would look at a passage a certain way and interpret it a certain way. And I'm appreciative of that because sometimes I have a question. Why are you post-millennial or post-trib? I have questions. How did you come to these conclusions? What do you do with this scripture then? You know, and he, he'll explain those things. And I really appreciate that he's taken the time to do that in his commentaries. But he said this in regards to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Just as the first coming of Christ accomplished the major purpose of God to provide salvation, so the second coming of Christ will accomplish the major purpose of God to place everything in subjection to Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. So we see clearly the two separate reasons why Christ has come in these two distinct comings. Now, we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians. If you want to turn there, chapter 1. Now, Thessalonians, Paul wrote two letters to him. One thing I love about it, he covers so much eschatology in two short letters in regards to the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. And the thing that's so cool Paul was a missionary. We just went through the book of Acts, okay? Probably the greatest missionary the world has ever known. He spent three weeks with those in Thessalonica. And these guys had a grasp on end time stuff, had a question about end time stuff. Today, most pastors won't touch this type of teaching. They won't go to the prophetic word of God. They won't teach Revelation. It's too much doom and gloom. It's kind of like teaching the Old Testament. We won't do that either, okay? <laughs> But the thing is, guys, it's good for us. We need to follow. God has revealed these things 
for a purpose for you and I, and we need to grasp these truths. It gives us hope, okay? He doesn't want us to be left hanging, right? He's a good dad. He calls us friends. And if we're friends, he's going to tell us what's going on. He's not leaving us in the dark. Do you guys remember the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ? When they finally cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now? Do you guys know what Jesus did right before that triumphal entry? Where they finally hailed him as king? He wept. He wept over Jerusalem. If you only would have read, you weren't reading prophecy, guys. You were ignoring my word. You were ignoring the prophets. If you would have read, you would have known the day of your visitation. Oh, you're nuts, Landon. Jesus ain't coming back. People have been saying that forever. Bummer. If you'd only read. If you'd only read. Man, if you study the Bible, that's one thing that's good about just studying the Word of God. It's all over the place, guys. Anyways, sidetracked again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 12. And to give you who are troubled rest in us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. And when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the apostle John says, so it is to be, amen. This is what it's going to be, guys. Amen to that. This is exciting. The Greek and the Hebrew phrases of affirmation, uh, John cannot affirm enough the wonderful truth that this is his coming and what he's going to do when he comes. It's like John saying, truly, truly, or yes, yes, it is, and yes, and yes, it should be. This is truth. Okay? That's the language that they're using in regards to the coming of Christ again. So in fact, the truth of the second coming of Jesus is to establish his rule on earth. It is so important that the Holy Spirit uh, next gives its confirmation from the Father in the strongest possible terms. Again, going back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, it's like the signature of affirmation of the second coming of Christ by the Father. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, he says, who was, and who, or who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, okay? So the Alpha and the Omega is a figure of speech that's called mirrorism. Okay, you can jot that down in your notes. Mirrorism is M-E-R-I-S-M. Mirrorism states polar opposites in order to highlight 
uh, what's in between, okay, those opposites. So kind of like A to Z, <laughs> right? Everything between there, B, C, D, and a, you know, go through it all. The first and the last, right? Everything in between that. So it's an affirming statement of the total sovereignty and control. So these mirrorisms express God's control of all history, especially bringing it to an end in salvation and judgment through the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the God who transcends time guides the entire course of history because he stands as sovereign over its beginning all the way to its end. That is our God. So since um, the one theme in Revelation is in conflict between the power of good and evil. Readers um, are reminded of who he really is and who really has the power. <laughs> it's God. He's the one who is able to bring it to pass, all of it to pass. So he who is eternal, the phrase who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty, he's eternal. This is God we're speaking about. So it refers to his eternal nature. So the first prophecy of the book of Revelation is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Have you ever caught that before? That's so cool. That's what it's about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what about Jesus Christ? He's coming back. He's, coming. He's not going to leave us. He is coming back. So it's the second coming of Christ. And it's also the theme statement of the book, and it's attested to the Lord, all, Lord God Almighty. So this is the key to our entire understanding of Christianity. Now, three questions that we need to ask ourselves about the second coming of Christ. Is it literal? There's a lot of churches that say it's not. I don't know if you guys realize that or not. Some of you guys hang around and you've been taught the scriptures and you're just like, this is just the way it is because it's what the Bible says. I take it literal. That's how we roll. A lot of churches don't take the word of God literal. It's a bummer. And we see the result of that type of thinking, holding to that type of doctrine. And that bad theology begets more bad theology. And that's why we see so much off. Second question is, when will it happen? So is it literal? When will it happen? And then what happens next? One passage I love is found in John 14, if you want to turn there. I often, I'd say 90% of the funerals I've done, I've shared this passage because <laughs> it ties into the hope we have, but it's tied into the coming of Christ. In John chapter 14, this is Jesus speaking. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And I know a lot of Christians who are tripping out. Guys, when we got Jesus, there's no reason to trip. Do you guys understand that? And that's why we got to take heed to God's word. And if he's telling us not to be troubled, let's not be troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a blessed hope that you and I have for anyone in Christ Jesus. Man, where is he? He's preparing a pretty cool place for us. That's where he is. And he's going to come back and take us there. I can't wait. I can't wait. Also in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, 
Okay? Again, we know verse 8 of chapter 1 talks about the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It will come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me, right? To where? The whole world. God's been faithful to that. The gospel has gone all over the world. Okay? Are we in the Holy Land today? No, we're in Kakana, Wisconsin, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been faithful to his word all the way on the other side of the world. But then he goes on to say in verse 9, Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, so the disciples are there, while they watched him, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, And as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel, and who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? We believe these to be angels. Okay, what are you guys doing? Okay, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So, how did Jesus come and go the first time? Literally and physically, guys. How will Jesus come a second time? Literally and physically. On the Alpha and the Omega, who was, who is, and is to come, says the Almighty. So it is literal. When will it happen? Well, I'm glad you guys asked. Let's turn to Matthew 24 together. And again, the Olivet Discourse, I'll put this up on our website on the first page for a few weeks. You guys can watch the teaching on that. Jesus speaks into this very clearly. Look at verse 21 of Matthew 24 and then verses 29 to 30. It says, Then there will be a great tribulation. This is Jesus speaking. Great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So there's great tribulation. Has the world seen some pretty big wars? Pretty big hardships, world catastrophes. Yeah, there's been some big ones. But it's not going to compare to the Great Tribulation. Not even close. If you don't know what I'm talking about, spend some time reading Revelation 6 to 18, okay? It'll make it clear on what's going to happen. Now, it tells us in verse 29, but immediately after, so after the tribulation, okay, which I believe to be seven years long, we don't have time to get into why, but it's laid out in Scripture. After the great tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then uh, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So again, this is outlined that we see uh, laid out in Revelation. Okay, chapter 6 to 18 tells about the tribulation, both the wrath of Satan unleashed on believers and the wrath of God unleashed on the unrepentant and Christ's victory over the enemy. Then in chapter 19, let's turn to chapter 19 of Revelation. All the way. Do you guys know that the end of the book is always the best part? <laughs> Same is true with the Bible. Okay, Revelation 19 is where we have the second coming of Christ. So you guys get this. The second coming of Christ is at the end of the tribulation. And we'll read here in Revelation 19, 
We'll look at verses 11 to 21. Verse 11, Now I saw in heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, which we saw back in chapter 1, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his Name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on, a white, on white horses. That's going to be us coming back, guys. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, in that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw, verse 19, the beast, the kings of the earth in their armies, they gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured and with the false prophet who worked signs in this presence, by which he has deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These who are cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from his mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now this is very clear. Okay, this is speaking of the second coming of Christ, him returning, him returning gnarly. You guys see that a description in chapter one? Yeah, Jesus is returning in that like manner. Okay, not a lowly little babe in a manger. He's going to come back and kick some butt. Okay, I can't wait. Anyways, this is very clear for you and I, but it also creates another question. What about the doctor of imminency? Don't we see that in scripture? The New Testament, where the New Testament sayings are things like, no one knows. He's going to come like a thief in the night. Wasn't that talking about Jesus coming? What's that about? Yeah. I want you guys to keep a finger here and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll take a look at chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 13 to 18. Now, this is going to be speaking about the rapture of the church, which I don't want to get into detail this morning because we're going to talk about that more at length next Sunday. But I do want to cover this doctrine of imminency with you guys just for a moment. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant. This is Apostle Paul writing to the church. He said this four times in four different books. So there are four things inspired by the Holy Spirit of God that Paul was 
brought to a place where he penned, I don't want you to ignore this. The rapture is one of them. Many churches don't believe in the rapture of the church, and it's one of the few things that God said, don't ignore it, okay? We're not going to ignore it. I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep, okay? So those who have died in Christ. We don't actually die as Christians, okay? So he's referring to those believers who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ. So there will be those who return with Christ, who have gone before us. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until his coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven and with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, right? And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So as believers, we should be comforting one another with these words. We're going to be caught up with the Lord together. There will be the rapture of the church. Okay? It's an immediate thing. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we should be ready. And when we are with him, okay, there's going to be a time where he returns to earth and we're all going to come with him. There's one more passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen carefully, verses 51 and 52 that speak to the doctrine of imminency. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Okay, We're not all going to pass, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Isn't that pretty cool? When the Lord calls us up, we're going to be glorified. Okay, We're going to be as he is. I can't wait. No more pain, no more suffering. It's so cool, guys. And even when we come back with him, it's going to be glorious. You know? We're reading in chapter 19 of the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? We're coming back with him on white horses, but we don't do nothing. Jesus just speaks a word and kicks Satan's butt. It's not even really a fight, you know? You can't fight against God, you know? He just says the word, and Satan and the beast and the Antichrist, it's all done. Anyways, notice just a couple things in regards to this. The second coming is a movement of Christ from heaven to earth with those who are uh, his to establish his kingdom. Now the event mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 is a movement from earth to heaven. We are caught up to him, okay, of Christ's people to be with him. These are two events. It's not the same event. Do not be ignorant of that. These are two separate events that take place. Now they may happen at the same time, the post-tribulation view of the rapture. And there are many that believe that within the church. It's all going to happen. We're caught up with him to come right back with him. Um, they may happen at different times. Okay, There's pre-tribulation thought out there. There's mid-tribulation view of when the rapture of the church is going to happen. But I want to notice just a couple things with you guys. Let's flip back to Revelation 19, verses 5 to 8. 
want you guys to notice a couple things with me here. Then the voice came from the throne, verse 5, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and is the sound of many waters, and is the sound of many thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. So the church is already in heaven. Do you guys see that? Okay, that's very clear. The church believers have been raptured. They are in heaven. I also want you to notice a couple of things. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. Okay, we know that Jesus spoke clearly, the prophet spoke clearly that there would be a great tribulation upon planet Earth. Okay? And that is the wrath of God being poured out upon the world. Well, we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. There's a reason why the church isn't there. They've obtained salvation through Jesus Christ. They will not go through the wrath of God. Christ took the wrath of God upon himself already. Then jump to the first chapter of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, And to wait for his Son from heaven who he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So it's speaking about not just the wrath of God in general, but there a specific wrath to come. Which wrath? Well, the end times, the tribulation, the wrath that is to come, the great tribulation. So it seems to point towards the rapture before the tribulation or wrath. So the wrath of God on an unrepentant world so we can debate back and forth, but the silent point is that there is a difference between the rapture and the second coming. That's the point I really want to make, okay? Um, sometimes we uh, condense our language into the coming of Christ, okay? If I say to you, hey, bro, can't wait for the Lord to come, what's in your mind? Oh, the rapture of the church, okay? But this morning we're talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're talking about the second coming. Sometimes, do you see that? We do that <laughs> stuff. But I want us to be clear that there is a contrast between the rapture and the second coming. Now, the rapture is the translation of believers. Translated believers go to heaven. Christ comes for his own uh, eminent. Um, second coming is no translation at all. Translated believers return to the earth. So Christ comes with his own preceded by a definite sign. And the purpose of the rapture is that the church, uh, to take the church out of the world and bring them to the Father's house. And the purpose of the second coming is to establish Christ's millennial reign, his kingdom, millennial kingdom upon the earth. Now, that answers three questions for us. Let's go back to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 20. And we'll start to wrap this up. In 
Now, Christ is going to return after the Great Tribulation to set up his kingdom that's going to last a thousand years. Let's take a read here in Revelation chapter 20, the first six verses. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they that sat on them and the judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and to the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this is speaking about the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign of Christ upon this planet. Now, there's three views out there of the millennium. There's the pre-millennial view. The millennium is literal thousand-year reign after the second coming in which Jesus rules on the earth visibly. And then there's the post-millennial view that's out there. The millennium is an undetermined period of time preceded the second coming of the gospel, um, or which the gospel triumphs, and Jesus rules on earth through his church. Okay, One of my best friends attends a church, Bible church, charismatic church, but they believe this. We're living in the rule of Christ right now. His kingdom is here, and it's in the church. He doesn't believe that, but churches believe that. And I want to look at the word of God. Well, these things are supposed to be like this when you're ruling. I look at the world, and it's nothing like you said it's supposed to be. Um, The third one out there is all millennial, or no millennium. So it's a millennium is a symbol of the present church age culminating in the return of Christ. So there's a lot of different views on that. I want to look at a few more verses in this chapter with you guys. Let's jump down to verse 11 in Revelation 20. It says, Then I saw a great white throne room, and him who sat on it, from those who face the earth and heaven heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And anybody or anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Again, this is literal. Jump over two chapters. Last chapter of the Bible. 
Revelation 22. First five verses here. It's all wrapping up. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of the street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each three yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. There's no need for a lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I hope you guys see what this does for the believer as you study the second coming of Christ. There is hope. He is coming. Okay, Sanctification, the impetus for holy living, okay? Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. You guys can write down 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Everyone who's looking for the coming of Christ will purify. There will be that sanctification. Isn't that logical? Doesn't that make sense? Absolutely. When we have this hope, when we have all this to look forward to, you know, am I going to be treating my spouse in that manner? Am I going to try to cheat in that way? Will I be looking at that stuff on the computer? Not if we're looking to the Lord. Lord, you could be coming back. And I don't want my last gig on planet Earth being something stupid. <laughs> Does that make sense? Also, it speaks to mission. Time's limited, guys. Time's limited. We are living in the last days. This is something that needs to be preached. Okay? It does provoke the church to do mission. And the mission of Jesus Christ is what? <laughs> to save the world, right? And if we're looking and we understand that the time is short, we want people to know. We want to be ready. We want to be prepared. Um, next week, guys, we're going to look at when the second coming, uh, when will it happen? Okay, more specifically, there's a lot more scriptures for you and I to consider in light of that. But I do also want to take some time next week, and I think we're going to look a little bit at Christ's first coming. Okay, uh, some, some of the scriptures that speak to that, the importance of that, and how they tie to the second coming of Christ, and how that makes us look at scripture specifically. But also, I want to take some time for you and I as believers, okay? How should we prepare for the second coming of Christ? You guys know I'm pretty chill. I'm not an extremist, but I think the church is dropping the ball in regards to living in the last days. Um, there were some when I was younger who really believed the Lord was coming back immediately, like... Um, they had dates set. There were 88 good reasons why they thought Jesus was going to return in 1988. And there were those who rang up their credit cards, hey, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> you know, I'm going to live high off the hog, going to do this or that. There was some in the church that got really stirred up by it and went and shared the gospel with everybody. There's good and bad that can come of that. 
Harold Campion, I don't know if you guys remember him. A little over six years ago, May of that year, I started doing chaplaincy work for our county, doing jail ministry up there. And my first couple months there was, hey, is the Lord really coming back? There's billboards all over saying that the Lord's coming back on this day. Is it going to happen? And I loved it because I got so many requests from so many people who were worried about the Lord coming back. And it was cool because I got to sit back with, no, the Lord's not coming back that day. But (laughs) this is what the Bible does say about his return. And the one thing that matters right now is today is the day of salvation. Are you ready to humble yourself, bow your knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and get saved? That's all that matters, guys. So I want to share a little bit next week about how we should prepare and be ready because we know there's a lot of things that Jesus spoke about in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, in regards to things leading up to the last days and things are going to get worse and worse. There's going to be more catastrophes taking place upon the planet. Now, the reason we're going to go through this is not to be doom and gloom. Oh, we should worry. That's not what it's about, but we should be prepared. And I want us guys to rightly divide the word, discerning the times and the seasons in which we live, that as things do shake out, say here in the Midwest, um, we don't have a whole lot of earthquakes. We know earthquakes are going to be on the uprise, but we get tornadoes. Okay, A few years back, you guys remember those crazy tornadoes that went through Alabama? Destroyed a ton of stuff. Billions of dollars of destruction. What if we in the Midwest that get tornadoes on a regular basis, what if we get hit? Are we going to be prepared that we're actually set (laughs) and ready to actually serve our neighbor, love our neighbor? You know, I think there's little things that we can do. So I'd like to spend just a little time on that next week. But the reason why I share that now is I want you guys to pray about that and start thinking about that, ways that we can prepare. Because I do believe we're living in the last days. I don't know when it's going to happen. You know, the Bible scholar (laughs) that I was 20 years ago was way smarter and knows a whole lot more than the Bible scholar I am today. (laughs) I believe Jesus was coming back in 2018, about 20 years ago. I was very young in the Lord. I saw that Jesus said the generation that sees the reestablishment of Israel will see the coming of the Lord. Well, that was 1948. The Bible speaks of generations. The most popular one is 70 years. 70 years from then is 2018. That's got to be it. I don't believe that any longer. (laughs) But I do believe that the generation is alive. They have seen. And it's going to be in the near future. And I want us to be ready. Amen? Amen. We're going to conclude our service with taking communion together. If I could have the worship guys come up, and if I could have a couple guys hand out the communion, I'd like the rest of you guys, I share this scripture often, but I think in light of this morning's teaching and message, it's going to ring a little truer, and it's going to bring a little more depth and reality to the importance of us coming to the Lord's table together and partaking of the bread in the cup. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it tells us in regards to communion, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is something we are continuing to do until he returns. Amen? Amen.